God made us a family. God gave us the following talk was given at St. Maximilian Kolbe Catholic Church in Houston, Texas, as part of the World Meeting of Families Catechesis series. In this talk, Alan Aber of Your Holy Family Ministries presents a second session entitled Families and Light of God's Word. In this talk, you will learn how to teach your children the good news of salvation using the seasons and celebrations of the church calendar. Tonight is the second night of the World Meeting of Families Catechesis. The title for this one is Families in the Light of God's Word. And the scripture verse that was chosen for tonight is, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. From Luke chapter 2, verse 41. At the beginning of each of the catechesis, there is a prayer that um, can be said, and I thought we'd all recite it together. Uh, my wife was highlighting some of what she thought was interesting in here, and she had a ton of stuff highlighted in this prayer. And I said, you know, that reminds me, I forgot to do that last time. So it's in here, and we're going to go ahead and, and recite it as our opening prayer. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mother, help, help our faith. Open our ears to hear God's word and to recognize his voice and call. Awaken in us the desire to follow his footsteps, to go forth from our own land and to receive his promise. Help us to be touched by his love, that we may touch him in faith. Help us to entrust ourselves fully to him and to believe in his love, especially in times of trial beneath the shadow of the cross. When our faith is called to mature, so in our faith the joy of the risen one. Remind us that those who believe are never alone. Teach us to see all things with the eyes of Jesus, that he may be light for our path. And may this light of faith always increase in us, until the dawn of that undying day, which is Christ himself, your Son, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We could probably spend all night just going through that. It's a beautiful prayer that uh, was in Lumen Fidei by Pope Francis. I think that was his first encyclical that he put out. There it is. That's the one you were just saying. No, that's not. Wasn't it? Okay. So into the teaching tonight. On a journey with the church. So the, the, the scripture passage we're talking about is, is really highlighting the Holy Family's journey with the church of their time to a major feast, probably the most important feast, the Feast of Passover for the Jewish people. And really the church has not changed a whole lot. We do the same things. Are you guys familiar with the church calendar, right? Whose feast day is it today? The feast of St. Isidore. That's right, he's up there, right? So St. Isidore is the feast today. That's also my father-in-law's patron saint, uh, Isidore the farmer. He was a man that loved gardening. I, I guess because he chose St. Isidore when he was a youth. Because uh, I think that was his confirmation saint, is that correct? So 
we as a family can journey with the church. We don't have to make up what we want to do. Did you guys know that many of our Protestant brothers and sisters use our lectionary in their own rhythm of their church? Even if they're not a liturgical church, they still observe Easter. They still observe Christmas. And a lot of times they'll observe some of the other days that we do as well. If they're a liturgical congregation, they'll even observe a lot of the saints and their feast days. So there's another one today, but we'll talk about that other one a bit later in the presentation. So the family is on this constant pilgrimage with the church, that we are walking with the church towards our final destination, which is heaven. Um, there's a guy named Dr. Ray Gurundi. He, uh, he's a Catholic psychologist. He's on uh, the radio and, and he's kind of funny. And, and, and you have to be funny when you're talking about parenting because parenting is just not easy. And if you didn't laugh, you'd, you'd cry sometimes. <laughs> so that's, that's Dr. Ray's approach. He says, um, hold your children by the hand firmly as you lead them towards heaven. That's, that's his, one of the things he says quite a bit. And so if we look at it this way, traveling with the church is similar. The church is heading towards heaven. And we believe as Catholics that, that our faith and the way that the church um, is constructed is one of the straightest paths to heaven. I've heard uh, another guy named Ray, uh, Steve Ray, is his last name. He talks about when he was a Baptist that... Uh, um, he had parts of the Catholic Church, and he equated it to this big boat traveling in the ocean towards its destination, which is heaven. And, and, and you're on the big boat, and you're looking out there, and you're seeing all these little boats kind of generally going in the same direction, but with a whole lot less stuff. And, and if you're on that big boat, you're looking down there going, what are all those folks out there on the little boats? Says, oh, well, they used to be on the big boat, but they decided they wanted to go their own way. And so they, they got off the boat and they, they built a smaller boat and they, everything they have out there, they took from the big boat. So they have part of what was in the Catholic church, but there's this big boat and all these other boats that are heading towards the destination which is heaven and we're we have this opportunity to be on that boat and to make use of all of the things that we can utilize in the boat the uh, the food um, the movie theater if you think about kind of a cruise ship you have a lot of things you can go partake in the casino maybe not the best part but we have bingo okay that was that was just a Catholic joke of playing <laughs> bingo um, but we're all heading towards this, this destination, which is heaven. And so there's a lot that we have to offer as a church to all of the members who wish to travel towards heaven. And so our liturgical calendar is almost like this, this guide to well, what, what should we do today with our families? Because I'll do this at times. I'll be in mass with the kids. Uh, some of my kids go to daily mass with me. And... Uh, Afterwards, I'll, I'll, I'll say, so uh, whose feast day was it today? And a lot of times they know because our, our priest will, will, will call it out at the beginning of the Mass and say, oh, today is the feast of St. Isidore, the farmer. He was, uh, and he gives a little history about him, and then he goes on with the Mass. Well, if you think about that, it's like, well, I could go and see how St. Isidore may help me to be holy. Or in the case of this week, we have a big feast coming up in this particular week. Does anybody know what the one is that's coming up? this Sunday. Pentecost. 
right? So my wife's wearing red in honor of Pentecost. She told me I should be wearing red. I said, it's not Pentecost yet. <laughs> but that's one thing that we can do on Sunday is to wear red to uh, unite the church. I've been to some masses where it's actually promoted and everybody shows up in red except for a few people. And it's kind of neat to see everybody dressed in red, this royal priesthood that is participating within the rhythm of the church, not just in the seasons, but also with the... Uh, um, saints that may may have their feast days throughout the year. So this liturgical calendar, as I just read it, is a journey recalling significant dates in church history and of those holy men and women who come before. Um, like for for Saint Isidore, the um, um, the little guide I was looking at, tell me a little more about him. It says we know about this about Saint Isidore. It's not a whole lot. But we do know that there was a huge church built here and there was a huge church built here and he had a great following. Um, so he was a holy man. The people that knew him best actually said right after his passing, this was a holy man, somebody who should be canonized. Back in, in his time, uh, the procedure was not quite as, as rigid. Um, I think St. Francis was another example of someone after he passed away that everybody's like, yeah, he should be, he should be declared a saint because... His life is worthy to be emulated. So that's one, one way, but it's a journey with the church just as the Holy Family journeyed with the church to the Passover. They all went together and they celebrated. And we do the same thing. God's word. So there, there are really four, four points. There's journeying with the church. There's God's word. There's uh, the charisma or education of children. And then the last one, you remember? Uh, I could think of it if I thought. Uh, okay, we'll find we'll the fourth one when we get to it. Yeah. So this, the, the, the second the point <laughs> in the in the text, and then we like go through this, and I try to see now what are the main points, very practical points that we can pull out of this text to help us as families. So the second one is God's word. God's word is scripture. So how can God's word help us? How is it more than just writing on a page? Are we a church of the word or are we a church in relationship with Christ? So the word communicates, informs, and makes us aware that it wants a relationship with us. Does everybody know of that, that term of the word and who that, who that points to? It is Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. And the gospel of John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So the word is a deep living relationship with God that will guide us towards him. The word is not just the words on a page. When Jesus was talking to the uh, disciples who walked with him on the way to Emmaus, he opened the scriptures for them and their hearts were burning within them as he pointed out everything in scripture that pointed to him. So it's really beautiful when you think of the scriptures as more than just a written word. There are many people that will read the Bible. I have a, an atheist cousin. He's, he's read much of the Bible. But he didn't read it as, as, as how we understand it, as being the word of God, a living, breathing being that is given to us through this text. Now, if you've read scripture on a regular basis, you will find that it is living because you can read the same passage 
multiple times and God will speak to you in a different way through that passage. So much so that you might get goosebumps and you go, oh my gosh, that is amazing. I just read that and, and it never affected me that way before. And yet today it, it was something I needed to hear. So it is living, it is breathing, it is God himself who has given us not only in the, the sacrament of, of the Holy Eucharist, which is half of the Mass, but also in the Word, which is the other half, the beginning half of the Mass. So the family is the place where the children are brought up in the faith, primarily through the Word of God. Parents are the first teachers of, uh, in the faith. Did you know that? Did everybody here know that? That, that your place as teachers of your children cannot be replaced by anyone else. It's a common problem that I see and even somewhat experienced it in my life. And because of that, I, I, I really, it's like one of those uh, uh, pain points for me <laughs> where when I, when I see someone trying to tell parents that you just need to step aside, we got this, that it really makes me mad. A righteous anger like the whips that Jesus pulled up in the temple. It's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. The parents, by virtue of baptizing that child or by the wedding vows that they recite, where they say, you know, I promise to be fruitful and to receive children lovingly from God and to educate them. If you read in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says, receive children from God and exactly in the next sentence, it says, and raise them according to God's laws. Educate them in the way of faith. That is an essential part of raising children, of, of having children, of, of welcoming children into your family. It is more than just giving birth. It's not like you, you give birth to them and then you're done. No, you have to form them just as that in the nine months in the, in the mother's womb, the child is formed from a couple of cells to a fully formed human being with hopefully all the digits and everything. And yet the formation is not complete. We continue to form that child really throughout their entire life, but especially from age one to 12. And at age 12, puberty happens and they start to assert their independence, but you still form them in the ways of God so that they can be fully human. Because we will be most fully human when we come to know God and understand his purpose for us. The theology of the body talks about that extensively. John Paul II says that is the way that we become fully human is to the extent that we become who we are meant to be. And so the parents are the primary and irreplaceable people who can form those children. And don't forget that. If somebody, if you ever see someone discouraged, and we had a friend that, I mean, she, she, she felt like she could not give to her child that faith, that somebody else needed to do it. I know um, there are many people that, that send their children to Catholic schools because they think, if I send them to Catholic schools, I've checked off that box and somebody else is going to teach them the faith. Or you send them the CCD. Now, those things might be good and they might help you in your task. But if you don't recognize that it is your task and your responsibility to educate your children in the faith, you have, you have let your children down and you're not embracing a 
responsibility that you have. So it's something that we have to correct in our society because we see it in the school systems where when we send our children to school or we, even in sports, I mean, I, I, I coach baseball and a lot of people, I mean, they put so much pressure on these kids in sports and, and they want to make it like perfect. Like, you know, this is like the all-stars. This is major league ball. And yet they're, they're eight, nine-year-old kids. You've taken out some of that sandlot experience of let's go out and, and start to learn this because I can learn how to hit a ball just by watching somebody older than me. Well, the kids actually learn their faith the best from their parents. You have the greatest um, pride of place to teach that. Your children spend the most time with you. You live and breathe that faith and they will catch it as opposed to opening up a book and saying, let's go through lesson one. God is not to be found on a page. A friend of mine uh, that teaches, she has no, she has no children. And uh, we were in adoration, and you're not supposed to talk to each other in adoration, so I don't advise this, but it was just me and her, and I was leaving, and she was doing her hour, and, and she stopped me and said, I have a question for you. And she asked me, she says, I, I teach these, these children, I think it was second grade or something, maybe it was sacramental year, I believe that's what it was. She says, you know, I, I teach them out of the book, can you give me some some ideas on how best to teach the kids because they just seem to not want to be there. Has anybody here taught children's? Do your kids feel? <laughs> Sometimes you do have that problem where they don't want to be there. And I told her, I said, I said, I know you. You're here in adoration. You come to daily mass. You have a faith. You have a relationship with Christ. I said, whatever's in the book, you can probably cover that in five minutes. But what's going to be most effective is when you share your relationship with Christ. And if the topic of the day is, is, you know, confession or God's mercy and how to do that, share with them how God has been merciful to you and what a joy it is to go to confession and receive his forgiveness. I said, to the extent you share of yourself is to the extent that those children are going to learn. She has one hour a week, though. You as parents have that same ability to share what God has done for you with your children. You have so much more time and you can witness to them in many ways that an RE teacher cannot. Yet many parents, they think that the RE teacher is the one that's going to teach the faith. They can have a part in that, but really it is your responsibility and more so than your responsibility, it's a gift that God gave you to be able to do that to catechize, to evangelize your own children. So the faith is a lively, and this is exactly, I mean, I, I put this in there, faith is a lively, concrete experience of God. And my wife said, lively, is that the right word? Well, it actually is. It's exactly what's in this, in this book. A lively, meaning that it's not dead. It's, it's not a dead letter. It's, it's lively. And it's real. It's concrete. It has substance. It's an experience of God. Experience of God. That is faith. And that is something that we're all called to have within our own families. So how do you do this? How do you teach anyone? So this particular, I, I got to this section in the, in, in the scripture, in, in, the, in the guide, the catechesis, and it's, it's the kerygma. Who here is familiar with the kerygma? 
That's cool. So this was a great gift we got when we moved to our parish. We have a, uh, um, a an adult faith formation director. That's his thing, the charisma. He loves it. He, he, he says, that, that's my gift. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not gifted in teaching about family life or even marriage, but the charisma, that's where I live. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I, I want to learn. So we were involved in adult faith formation and the whole adult faith formation course, this was 13 weeks, was all about the charisma. Because if you don't get the charisma, if you don't get the charisma, if you don't know that God loves you, nothing else below this matters. And uh, Pope Paul VI encyclical uh, Evangelii Nuntiani. And write that one down. Evangelii Nuntiani. He wrote about the charisma. He says, and so Evangelii Nuntiani is evangelization in the modern world. So how do we do that? How, does, how do we evangelize a world that is pretty far away from God? So we go back and look at the Old Testament in the Acts of the Apostles. If ever you want to know um, kind of like how you do this, you go to the Acts because the Acts of the Apostles is the early church where the whole world was pagan or Jewish, right? That was, that was their world. Then some of the uh, letters were written to the Jews and a lot of the letters were written to pagans, people who did not know Christ, who might have known Greek mythology or Roman mythology. Their concept of God was very different. They said, well, where do we start? We start with the Corinthians. If you go to a Baptist church, any mainline Protestant church, any Christian church, you will probably hear the charisma. It is this core teaching of the gospel that every Christian should know that you might have missed. If you were born and raised in the Catholic church, you might have missed this. You might have gotten right into our Blessed Mother, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, you might have gotten right into the Eucharist, you might have gotten into how to sit, stand, and kneel in church, how to make the sign of the cross, how to go to confession, how to receive your confirmation. You might have learned the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All those things are beautiful pieces of that big boat that's heading towards heaven, but they're not the core teaching of the church. If you don't start here with the charisma within your own family, your children may one day wake up and they go, Jesus saved me. And they go, what did he save me from? They don't know because they missed this foundation. That's the charisma. The charisma is the foundation of the faith. So let's go through it pretty quickly. God loves you. So today, love is something that is misunderstood. It may be pizza love. Anybody heard that term, pizza love? Mary Beth Bonacci, I, I give her credit. She's no longer doing youth ministry, but she said, pizza love. I love pizza for what it can do for me, but when it's cold and I'm full, I don't love pizza anymore. A lot of people think of love that way. God's love is not like that. It is a scandalous love that loves you no matter what you do and even loves you more when you are furthest away from Him. If we can teach nothing else to our children other than God's love, we have been successful because our children will suffer the most today because they have learned a incorrect understanding of love. And therefore, when somebody said God loves you, they think God loves me when I'm good. Because that's how the world loves you. But if they have experienced that in their family from their parents, 
God's love of unconditionally loving those children, and you can't start early enough on this, constantly teaching them that God loves you no matter what, and so do I, as best that I can, that is the foundation. God is not uh, the fire extinguisher God that you call on only when you have a fire you need to put out. He's not the God who, who is a policeman watching and saying, you know, you better not do that or I'm going to uh, hurl down lightning bolts and hailstones, right? You, you're not to live in fear. You're, he loves you. He desires for you to always be in union with him. But there is sin. Sin came into the world with Adam and Eve. And it has consequences. If I choose to sin, if I choose to do something contrary to God's laws, who am I hurting? Myself. I'm not hurting. Well, you could say you're hurting God because sin is repugnant to God. He hates sin with a passion because he knows how much it hurts us. But there is sin that has consequences. It has consequences in our lives. If we kill someone, there are consequences to that. If we lie, there are consequences to that. So there is sin that has consequences. However, God had a plan to save us from sin. And that involved his son, Jesus, who is our savior. And what is he saving us from? Sin. Why is Jesus saving us from sin? Because God loves us. So if you don't understand the God loves you piece, Everything else in here falls, falls apart. Why should I repent? Because there's sin, it has consequences. Well, sin happened. And why did he send Jesus? Why did Jesus die on the cross? There it is, crucifix. Why did Jesus go through a painful death on the cross? To save us from our sin because sin has consequences in the world and to save us and to set us free from that sin God has a plan to send his only son to die and take the place and make atonement for that sin and save us from it because we couldn't do it before we had the Ten Commandments did the Jewish people were they saved by the Ten Commandments they were like the bumpers on a, a pool lane right you throw the ball down and you got the little bumpers it keeps the ball from going in the gutter that was the Ten Commandments but it didn't necessarily get them to a strike. So Jesus came and he saved us from that sin. He says, I'm going to set you free from the law. I'm not going to remove anything that the law says. It's not like you're free from it and therefore you can do any sins you want. I'm going to change your hearts so that you only desire to please God. And you have no more love for sin. So this is, now, anybody know what this picture is here? Catholic artwork is great. Now, this isn't the best Catholic artwork, but it was the most appropriate one I could find. So who's this? I assume it's not Joseph in his multicolored coat. That is not Joseph in the multicolored coat. Yes, who is it? Jesus St. Paul. No. So we have, we have a feast coming up this weekend. Oh. Pentecost. That's Peter. Peter is standing up there right after receiving the Holy Spirit and he comes out and says, God loves you. But there is sin. You guys killed Jesus. You killed, you killed God. And it had consequences. I mean, if you read through that part of the Acts of the Apostles, you will see all of this. God loves you, but you guys killed God. And they go, and so Jesus is the Savior. He says, you killed the Savior of the world. 
And they're like, oh no, you're right, we did. What do we do now? And he said, repent and receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit came down and 5,000 men were baptized, wasn't it? Men, it was 5,000, I think it was men. So there was more than that, I believe. I think it was 5,000 people or persons, but it was, it was quite a few on that day of Pentecost. Everybody understood in their own native language because there were people from all over that all spoke different languages. And the Tower of Babel came down because of the Holy Spirit giving them the gift of tongues where they could speak and be understood by all those who were there. The charisma is in the Acts of the Apostles. This is what was necessary for those people to understand that God loved them, to know that they had sinned and it was, it was real and it had consequences because there was a God was killed. And to understand that Jesus was a Savior and accept that. And then to repent and receive the Holy Spirit. This is the focus of all evangelization. If you leave this out in evangelization, you have a much lower probability of being successful. Because you will not understand why, when you look at how do I live out this life, you will not understand why I must uh, um, give God time and prayer every day unless you understand that God loves you. You won't understand how you should uh, um, let invite God into your bedroom unless you understand that God loves you. You won't understand any of the Ten Commandments unless you understand God loves you. And not just understand it, but have a relationship with God so that you feel it and that you love Him in return. Because... Um, our, our priests are really good about uh, when people go to confession, they'll ask and they say, so, uh, all right, so, so you have premarital sex. Um, do you know why it's wrong? And many times the male or female will go, no, I just, I just know it's wrong because the church says it's wrong. It's like, it's going to be pretty hard not to have more sex unless you actually understand why. So then they take them through a little catechesis of why. But they might not even be willing to accept the why unless they know that God loves them. And that's why he desires for them to be pure and to not engage in an act that is a lie prior to marriage. So it's the focus of all evangelization. Teach this to your children and they will be so far up the ladder in reference to even people that you sit next to in church. Because the charisma is not taught as much as it should be, yet Paul VI wrote this back in the 60s. And it's been implemented to a certain extent. Back in the 60s? Yeah. Evangelii Nuntiani. Just the correct. Just the, the he, he wrote Evangelii Nuntiani in the 60s saying this is how you should focus on primary elements and stay away from secondary elements until the primary elements have been effectively communicated. Because you can think of all the secondary elements, right? The why you know the laws of the church um but you must get across the charisma first and so within our families that is the key to evangelizing our own members so the word of god in the domestic church the word of god scripture jesus becomes flesh in our domestic churches you see how that happens within our domestic church we um make the word of god flesh we become a living word of God. You probably heard, and they attribute it to St. Francis. I don't know if that's, that's the truth, but it says, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Because the only Bible someone may ever read 
is you or your family. We've had it happen many times to us, and we find that other large families, and it's not necessarily that it's large families, but large families stick out in a church. When you see somebody there with six kids, you notice them because you got two big heads, and you got a whole bunch of small heads, and then more big heads. You just notice that. Whereas if it's just a couple of folks, it, it, it can work in any family that has love. But we've had it happen to us just because of the size of our family. We've met many other people that they'll come, they say, yeah, people come up to us all the time after church and say, wow, your family's so beautiful. That's the word of God becoming flesh within the domestic church. The word lives in our families and should inspire us and give us purpose to our lives. I mean, that's the call of every Christian is to go out and preach the good news in the world. So we're on a mission with who? With the church. We're on a mission with the church that was assigned by the Lord himself last weekend at the Ascension. Told us to go out and evangelize the entire world. In order to do this, the foundation has to be solid within the family. Each spouse must have their own prayer life. And this prayer life, at least I know for me it is, when I in my prayer time, I'm praying for my family, that I can be a better dad, and that, that each of my children will continue to go in the crooked path that God has picked for them, because it's never straight. But we place our family in the Lord's hands, because we can't do it on our own. You might think you can for a while, and then something happens. And you realize that I can't control everything, just like we talked about last week. And we have to go back to God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And if the family has that mission, and as I said, we're, we're praying for a family member right now. Um, and the whole family is coming together to do that. So we're united in prayer on a mission with a purpose that God has given us to pray for this particular family member. And we're united in that mission. No matter what the age or, or you know, person, whether we're living at the same house or not, the whole family is coming together praying for this person. We've seen this many times. We had uh, one extended family member a number of years ago who uh, was homeless. He was an alcoholic and I think drug addict as well. And uh, there was nothing we could do for him. Uh, his parents um, were just besides themselves. And uh, I mean, let's think about it. how horrible can that be to know that your child is in downtown Houston living on the streets. In downtown Houston, way worse than downtown Austin. It is. Um, and, and yet all we could do was pray. And the family all came together and prayed for this person. He got cleaned up, changed his life, returned back to his family, um, and ended up getting a successful job, meeting a wife, has a couple of kids now, and, and is a very great guy. He was always a great guy. He just, he just got in trouble. The family said, you know, we must rely on the Lord for this because we can't fix this. I can't go down there and pull him off of the street again, put him back in our house and have him just go find more drugs. And God has to change his heart, which is part of the charisma. There's sin as consequences, but Jesus is our Savior. Preaching the charisma to that young man and to that family that said, we got to start with God. God loves you and I must love you in that same way. Now, the gifts of the church can help us in this. Frequent confession, spiritual direction, going on retreats 
as a family. You don't see that too often, but that's something Father John wants to do here. It's something that we've been doing for the last six years. We run a number of retreats. We got one really cool one coming out. We're going to be in Wyoming, in the mountains of Wyoming, with a Franciscan priest. Okay, well, that would be fun. Uh, he's going to be in a tent. <laughs> putting a priest in a tent. I don't know if God's going to strike lightning on us for that. But <laughs> he said he would love it. So, okay. <laughs> but retreats, right? Taking time away from the world to just retreat with your family or individually to, to, to really nurture that most important relationship, which is that relationship with God. Thank you for listening. For more information on Your Holy Family Ministries, please visit yourholyfamily.org.